Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. Welcome to Our Lords. If you're visiting or you've been here a few weeks, welcome. We are glad you're here. We are a passionate community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And people comment all the time when they come to Our Lords, the warmth and sense of family that we've got here. Hi, Amanda. You're cute. We got married here, right here, I've shared that. We're about to celebrate 24 years, right? 24 years, got married right here. Just as you walked by, I remembered. I had hair then, a lot of thick hair. Times have changed. It's Father's Day and I'm gonna do something. Andrew, will this let me walk out here? I'm gonna ask my dad to pray for our church. So, saving him the walk up here, John Bingaman. So I'm gonna ask if you'll, can I get in here? As much as anyone I know, this man embodies the heart of the Father. So this morning I was saying, Lord, I wanna acknowledge the Father's, but also an impartation of the Father's heart for your church. So can you? I appreciate all the lead time. Yep. <laughs> 10 seconds to walk up here. I thought it'd be better that way. So why don't, I'll hold it and you can pray. Okay. So why don't we have the fathers stand up? Fathers, if you'll stand up. We honor you, but we're going to pray here for a moment. There's nothing I would uh, rather pray for more than this. Father God, I I remember like it was yesterday, all those years ago when you spoke to me that I was your son, that you would father me the rest of my life. But also that you call me to father young men, younger men, actually some even older but you wanted them to know your love for them as a father knows his son. God, I'm so grateful for these years you've allowed me that privilege to introduce sons to their father, you their father. I pray for the men here this morning, God, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would bless them as fathers if they have children. If they do not have children, Lord, I pray that you would give them sons and then daughters in the faith, that they might father those 
who don't have earthly fathers. God, how I pray, thanking you for this son of mine this morning. I ask for your anointing as a father to come upon him strongly and powerfully that he might father many in the faith. And I pray for that anointing for men all over this room this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. You still like me after that, Dad? <laughs> Sometimes spontaneity works better. Then you get the extract, right? Whatever comes out. All right. A little cardio there. That's how we do things around here, don't we? Just kind of wait on God. And I think there's more, too. I just... Let's just wait on him a minute. Yeah, I'm sensing a couple things. One is that he just wants to, as Paul says in Romans 5, pour out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we, we ask that you would continue to do that. Pour out your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We receive your love today, Abba Father. And Father, I pray for those of us who are struggling to receive your love, that today would be a turning point. I just, I sense him say, it's as easy has taken a drink. Let your heart drink in the love of the Father for you. Your heart's thirsty. And my heart is thirsty. The love of the Father. Let him love you today. receive your love, Father. We love you back. Another thing I'm sensing is, as Chris read that, we've got some parents with prodigals. So I want to ask for the Lord to bring breakthrough. So if that's you, let, why don't you pray under your breath? If that's you, if that's someone you know, a family member, let's take a minute and cry out to God to bring those prodigals to himself. Give us your heart, Father, for the prodigals.
I'm just sensing him saying, could this be a place where he could bring a lot of prodigals? And we say, yes, Father. This is a place, this is a family where you can bring many, many prodigals. And you've started with us. But Lord, we ask, I ask, especially for young people, Lord, that you would move mightily in this hour, Lord. Pour out your spirit. Lay hold of the young people, so many fatherless. Bring them to yourself. And let this be a place where we could see that happen. We could invest our lives. if we just continue to make space for God each time we're gathered together God has things to do God has stuff that he wants to do things that are in his mind on his heart and then we get to go and do that and go be the church in the world again this on Sunday mornings is kind of a, a time for us to come together and encourage one another so that we can go out and be the church wherever you are and share the love of the Father. Does the world need it, you think? The world needs the love of the Father. Ronnie, I hear you. Is that right? It's right, isn't it? The love of the Father. We've got, I've said it, the best thing going on the planet, and that's the church. The love of the Father brooding over us and dwelling us. Thank you. Something else I want to say, we're, we're encountering God in new ways, and I think you're crazy to not be here. And so we are a zero-pressure church, but I'm just saying in the coming days, you won't want to miss what God's doing. So if you're still doing pajama church at home or whatever, it, it's, it's okay, but, or if you are Whatever it is, you're, man, I'm just getting up this morning and I don't feel like going. I'm just, I'm going to stay here and read my Bible. Scripture says, do not forsake assembling together. And so we should be together as often as we can. And again, man, am I doing the church growth principles week by week or what? This is not one of the things to say, but I'm going to say it because the Bible says it. We are part of the body of Christ. And so we need to gather together. And we have religious freedom in this country. So this lax attitude of, you know what, I'll go. I'll go half time or I'll tune in occasionally or read my Bible. That's not biblical Christianity. We should be in the church and involved and serving and using our gifts. I'm not saying this. The Bible does. And some of you could say, well, that's kind of, you know, you're putting something on other people. I'm not. I'm just saying, read the word. And along with that, try going without a community for several years. Amanda and I can't wait to be here. 
because we went without a community. And I'm not going back to that. If the doors are open and people are here, I'm, I want to be here. So let's not take for granted the beautiful thing that God's given us here. Community and family. and You with me? And if God's moving and hit, there's something that happens when the body of Christ comes together that doesn't just happen in your living room. Christ, where there's two or three gathered together, Christ is there, correct? But there is something that happens when you get more burning logs together. And we burn together. And I don't know why it's that way, but it is that way. The more people that are at a soccer match or something like that, it's electric. and Because people are connecting, it's the same thing with the church. We gather together. Does that mean you shouldn't gather? You shouldn't read your Bible alone? You shouldn't gather with two or three in your home? Of course not. But don't neglect the opportunity to come and worship and be together and irritate one another in Christ. <laughs> we irritate one another. We're sandpaper on one another so that Christ can be formed in us. So if you're looking for that church where there's no sandpaper People, keep looking. I'm going to go to Antarctica Community Church. It might just be you in an igloo alone, and you'll irritate yourself. <laughs> Somehow you'll say, well, I'm lonely, or I'm irritated. So it's the beauty of the church. Thank you, Kaylee. Wow. So... Revelation 16, my goodness. We're going to work through this, and then we've got another song we're going to sing at the end because we can't get enough singing to the Lord. And everything we do, we want it to be worshipful, right? As we open the Bible, Brad says it just about every Sunday, let it be worship. We sing worship. We sing the scriptures, and we look at the scriptures. And so, Lord, teach us how to open the Bible and have it be an extension of worship, especially with Revelation 16. This is the seven bowls, and we're calling this the judgment of Satan's kingdom. Last week, we looked at chapter 15, the victorious martyrs of the new exodus, and it kind of was a prelude to what we're going to read today. And today we're going to look at these seven bowls of God's wrath that are poured out. But as the title says, these are judgments against the kingdom of Satan. There is a spiritual war that Revelation tells us about that you and I are in. And there's no neutrality. So, friends, today you're either awake and battling or you're taking arrows and taking bullets, walking around with your eyes closed. So we are in a spiritual battle, and we're going to look at these seven bowls. And a kingdom theologian named George Ladd says this about this chapter. He says, these plagues, these seven plagues, must be seen 
in the context of the struggle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, pictured so vividly in earlier chapters. These plagues, catch this here, these plagues are not the expression of God's wrath against sin in general, nor are they punishments for individual wrongdoing. They are the outpouring of God's wrath upon the one who would frustrate the divine purpose in the world, the beast, and upon those who have given their loyalty to the beast. Very important to recognize here that this is God's countering after many, many relentless opportunities and outreaches of mercy and grace. Chapter 16 is basically talking about God's victory over Satan's attempted spiritual coup. And the Lamb and his followers, as we've seen in the preceding 15 chapters, have already overcome through the cross, through the blood of Jesus. Last Sunday, let's do this. I want to just preface here by looking at the end of chapter 15 here, and then we'll look at a few sections here in chapter 16, and we'll read it in a moment. But in chapter 15, you can open your Bible there, look at it on your phone if you want, as long as you stay off social media. Just kidding. Just kidding. You can do whatever you want, but... So, at the end of chapter 15, we didn't really get to cover this, but it's setting up what we're going to look at today. At verse 8, you can look at it there. The temple is filled with smoke, the heavenly temple, from the glory of God, the power of God, and this is reminiscent of Mount Sinai, as well as Isaiah's vision. And no one can enter the temple until these seven plagues, these bowls of wrath, end. No one can come in. And this is reminiscent of the earthly temple. First Kings 8.10 says this, And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So this is the context for chapter 16. It's really not focused on wrath. and It's focused on the glory of God. If the, the Lord will not be mocked. He will not be taken for granted, taken lightly. Let's read uh, chapter 16 here. You see that, though? This is the glory, the presence of God behind this. You ready to read the chapter? Chapter 16, one and following. And again, keeping in mind, this is judgment against, the text will say, Satan's throne. So God's 
wrath is against the throne of Satan and the havoc that he wreaks. Lord, help us here as we look at this passage, Revelation 16, 1 to 21. There's going to be seven angels pouring out these dishes, large saucers filled with the wrath of God. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured his bowl on the earth and a foul and painful sore came on those who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped its image. The second angel poured his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, you are just, O holy one, who are and were, for you have judged these things because they shed the blood of saints and prophets. You have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. The fourth angel poured his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, but they cursed the name of God, who had authority over these plagues, and they did not repent and give God glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up in order to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw three foul spirits like frogs coming from the mouth of the dragon, from the mouth of the beast, and from the mouth of the false prophet. These are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. A little parenthetical here. Jesus says, interjects at verse 15, See, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and is clothed, not going about naked and exposed to shame. And they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a violent earthquake, such as had not occurred since people were upon the earth. So violent was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. God remembered great Babylon and gave her the wine cup of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. And huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, dropped from heaven on people until they cursed God for the plague of the hail. So fearful was that plague. This is the word of God. 
the Word of God, isn't it? So before we look at this, I just want to ask, do we have the Father's heart and perspective on this? No, but we want it, right? We want to grow and mature into that. On one hand, we've seen the book of Revelation in chapter 6, where people, end-time martyrs, people killed for their faith, are praying, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will it be before you judge and avenge our blood on the inhabitants of the earth? And this makes more sense for those who are murdered for their faith. On the other hand, we in the United States are currently in a different situation for who knows how long. We're not yet suffering like brothers and sisters in China or the Middle East or Africa. So our hearts should break and ache for lost people. In our country, our city, our neighborhood, our school, our family. And when we speak of God's wrath and judgment, we should be on our faces, pleading for the mercy of God. Romans 2 says it's the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. James 2 says mercy triumphs over judgment. So as we approach this, we have to say, Father, would you give us your heart? This is one of the mysterious things about your holiness interesting. This is coming to mind. What does the Apostle John say? God is what? God is love. Isaiah 6 and many other places, Revelation 15 says, holy, holy, holy is God. So God is love and God is holy. God is not like us. God is transcendent. I don't find anywhere in scripture where it says God is judgment. Anyone? But because he's full of love and mercy and he's holy and some human beings refuse and resist him, there's judgment. It's discipline. And there's no way around it. There's no, the scriptures teach that clearly. God reaching out over and over again in mercy. I heard a pastor share his story. He was actually working through this in a Bible study he was a, a pastor in Las Vegas named Mike, and he was working through this, and he just stopped and said, I want to tell you my story because a passage like this should break our hearts. And he was a surfer in California, went to University of California at Irvine, was an absolute mess, went his freshman year had applied, you know how you fill your profile out, and he let them know that one of the things he was committed to along with studies was parting and surfing. So he was anxious to meet his freshman party mate. And so he rolled in and put his fridge in there and stocked it with cold Coors Light 
he said. He's an 80s guy. Put his surfer posters up on the wall, his Coors Light posters, some other things that he couldn't mention. And his roommate rolls in later that afternoon and had one poster and put it up on the wall, and it was a surfer. He was like, oh, it's great, on a wave, and it said, repent and you shall be saved. And he was like, oh, my gosh, I put on my profile, I didn't want someone like this. And so he said that that brother wore him down with the love of God. He said, I deserve the wrath and judgment of God and lived like it boldly. I persecuted and tormented my roommate, and he won in the end. And here I am standing before you today because this guy, he would write scripture on their door, on their little dry erase board. He would write a new scripture every day. And so this guy went to the RA and said, can you stop him? And he said, no, look in your room. You've got your messages. It's freedom of speech, bro. So this guy just brought the word of God, brought the love of God, absorbed it, what he brought from him. So he said, I was won over to Jesus, not because of awareness of judgment, but because this person showed me love and mercy and kindness in Jesus. So friends, as we read this, let's keep that in mind. God is holy, but it's his mercy and kindness that brings people to repentance. And the judgment moments here, people are hardening their hearts like Pharaoh did. All right, let's look at uh, verse 1 here. A loud voice from the temple commands the seven angels to pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath. And we've seen multiple times, we've seen seven letters, seven seals, seven trumpets. Seven is the number of completeness. So this is completing the final wrath and judgment of God. We've also seen that the idea of pouring out a cup or pouring out a saucer like this, a bowl, is symbolic for the judgment of God being poured out on unbelieving nations. The Old Testament prophets prophesied that. Why is it that these people are being judged, those aligned with the kingdom of Satan. Verse 9 says it's blasphemy. That's one reason. Another is the persecution of Christians. They aim. They're passionate about persecuting and killing Christians. Chapter 9 told us this, and verses 9 through 12 tell us, thirdly, they're experiencing the wrath of God because they refuse to turn to God. They refuse to repent. We see in verses 2 through 8 that these bowls, the first four, are poured out on the earth, the natural world. And this first judgment here, the followers of the beast feel the wrath of God in their skin. The word actually means here the sores, loathsome ulcers like Job experienced. Friends, this is miserable. It's graphic. But there, 
there is a day, there is a people, there are times when people are so given over to darkness who submit to the throne of Satan that they will not repent. They won't turn to God. And we've seen over and over again there are various fulfillments of things like this. There are judgments against different empires throughout history. But the day's coming when this will all come together. There will be a moment when symbolically these things are happening, and I think literally. The book is filled with symbolism, and I think there's no way around it to find a literalism as well. Symbolism and literalism. It's interesting, plays on words here, the mark. Those who received the mark of the beast are now visited by marks of God's wrath. The second bowl here, how are we doing? We're two bowls in, hallelujah. If you are not in the family of God, you should come running in today. Not because God is scary and wrathful. God is good. He's loving. But when stuff goes down and your taskmaster is Satan, this is the kind of stuff that he, he brings. The Father brings love and goodness and transformation of life. And this is a window into what happens if you give the middle finger to God with your life. And that's a little graphic, but people do that. They resist they say, no, thank you. And the father is pleading and reaching out to them over and over again. They're like, no, no, no. And the day's coming in the end of the end where it will be so brazen, it's breathtaking. So the second bowl here in verse 3 is the sea being turned to blood. And there's so much to this. We'll come back to it next week and the following week. The sea is basically a judgment on spiritual Babylon because their economic, political, spiritual system relies on maritime commerce and these things. So a judgment on the seas is a judgment against the world system, the Antichrist world system that's turned its back on God. And we'll see that Babylon has grown wealthy from what comes out of the seas. Friends, it's devastating. Can you imagine the seas turning to blood? And the word literally suggests coagulation. Somehow the seas are turned to blood and all the sea life dies. Sobering. The third bowl, the rivers. So not only are bodies of water where the sharks and all the other fish of the sea swim, but the fresh water, the rivers. Verses 4 through 7, the springs of water, they also become blood. And we've seen in chapter 15 and other places that the backdrop for this is the Exodus story, right? So we should be thinking of those 10 plagues when God used Moses to liberate the slave people of God. There were very specific judgments that struck the Antichrist empire of Egypt. And so here in the end of the end, it's happening again. The fresh waters, 
Fresh water sources that are essential for drinking and sustaining life are changed to blood. It's interesting to see here. It's done by the angel of the waters. We've seen in other places in Revelation, in chapter 7, there's the angel of the winds of the earth. The angel of fire in chapter 14, the ancient Hebrew mind understood that there were angelic supervisors of the elements. And it basically just suggests again that God is sovereign. That's the point of it. I want to look at this here, verses 5 through 7, right in the middle of this. Look at verse 5. An angel declares, you are just, O Holy One. And then at verse 7, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. I've been trying to pray these this week. So I took that first one, you are just, O Holy One. And I have not really prayed like that before. And so I'm trying to meditate on the justice of God, the rightness of God. The fairness of God. It's a great arrow prayer. Trying again that chiropractic work of the word of God going to work on us. Lord, you are just. And a generation will live through and witness these things. And if we're wrestling with, you know, God is mean and angry and unfair, we're not letting the word of God go to work on us. And so I think it's important, like these angelic announcements are being made here, we recognize that God indeed is just. He's the source of all justice. And then look at verse 7. You notice the attitude here, yes, O Lord God. It's people from the altar, those who have suffered greatly and the angels that are with them. Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty. Can you imagine, friends? I've done this before. No, Lord God Almighty. Anybody else done that? It doesn't sound right, does it? Lord God Almighty, no. So this is another arrow prayer. Yes, Lord God Almighty. Who you are, what you do, all that you do is good and right and holy and fair. Friends, that's tough. Is anyone else? I mean, I'm making myself uncomfortable with that because I have had moments in my life where I have said, no, you are, <laughs> you're not being fair, and I'm mad at you. And thankfully, his love continues to reach out. I've said it before, the Lord loves the sin out of us. He loves those dispositions. And so I end up coming back and going, okay, you are fair. You are just. You are holy. You're good. Maybe you can lead the universe better than I can. It's the argument of Job, isn't it? Job complains, and the Lord says, hey, how would you like to run the universe, Job? And he goes, I got it. I got it. You are the supreme Lord. You're sovereign. Even if my body and my life falls apart, I trust in you. Man, what? I, I aspire to that. Though you slay me, I will trust in you. Friends, that is what the Lord wants in the coming days. And when we hear from people in China or the Middle East or Africa or wherever it is where Christians are persecuted, they have that mindset. Lord, though you slay me, I trust in you. Friends, what is that? Do you want that? Man, 
I'd, I would love to have that. And the Lord's like, really? But it's all about grace and mercy. It's the grace and mercy of God that works that into us. And a part of the growth and maturity is to nourish ourselves on passages like this. One commentator says this, the judgment of God is neither vengeful nor arbitrary. It is an expression of God's just and righteous nature. Listen to this. All caricatures or false images of God that ignore God's intense hatred of sin reveal more about our nature than about God. In a moral universe, God must of necessity oppose evil. Righteous are you, O Lord, and your laws are right. Lord, work this into the fabric of our hearts. Help us embrace this and grow into it. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, you are just and holy. The fourth bowl here, the sun scorches. Verses 8 through 9. And this is punishment for idolatry. And again, it resembles some earlier judgments, the fourth trumpet and kind of the counter of the ninth plague of darkness in Exodus. The sun, which is such a blessing, becomes a curse, one commentator says. But yet they refuse to repent. The people's allegiance to Satan and his beastly anti-Christian empire is now being reflected in their lives. And they're receiving the judgment of God. Bowls 5 through 7. Verses 10 through 21. Bowl 5. At verse 10 is darkness. And in Exodus, the darkness plague was a judgment against the sun god Ra. Every plague was pinpointed to dismantle the Egyptian system of idolatry. And so when darkness came, it was Yahweh saying, I alone am the creator of the universe and the sustainer of all things. Ra is a joke. I'm going to turn the lights out on Ra. And so these judgments are suggesting some of the similar things. Look at verse 10. It's an interesting phrase here. Darkness settles over the throne of the beast. We saw the throne of Satan earlier in chapter 2, verse 13, in Pergamum, the church at Pergamum. And it was the center of Roman government and their imperial cult under Satan's control. This could be metaphorical, friends. Again, the already, the not yet, the symbolic, the literal it's there, and I think we should understand it in both respects. could be metaphorical of civil strife, anarchy, invasion, collapse, right in the satanic center of the empire, but I think it's probably literal as well. It's a precursor of the final judgment. Jesus said in Matthew 8 and 22 that unbelievers will be cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is an elaboration of that. And it's the opposite of God who dwells in unapproachable light. 
as I was reading this, I was thinking of a recent trip when Jake and I, last year, went to a cave tour in Arkansas, and he had the time of his life. Right, Jake? He's, he's going like this now. I said, let's go to a cave, and he's like, oh, do we have to? But one thing we did in that cave was we went down into it, and they turned the lights out. And it was, some of you are going, no, no thank you. It was absolute pitch darkness. And I thought of that as I read this. A darkness will come over the empire that's led by Satan, representing separation from God. Probably a little literal darkness, and it will begin to dawn on them, and they will gnaw on their, their tongues here. Okay, let's finish here. Bowl number six, the Euphrates is dried up. How are you? I keep saying that each, each week. If you can make it through chapter nine, you are so tough. You're a Navy SEAL. Here we are in chapter 16. I'm saying it again. But is there a goodness to it? Many churches, many pastors and teachers avoid this stuff. We're going right through it. Because it's preparation. It is the word of the Lord for this hour and for the church. So we're going right through it. The Euphrates is dried, verses 12 through 16. God is gathering together ungodly forces to experience judgment. The day of the Lord is here. The drying up of the water symbolized many things in the Old Testament. God regathering his people was also the removal of the barrier that held back the enemies from attacking God's people. All right, here's what we're going to do. Worship team, why don't you come up? I'm going to mention the last plague here. There's, there's just too much here. It's good. Peeling back that onion. And what's an onion do when you peel it back? Makes you cry, doesn't it? So we're peeling back that onion, and I'm struggling at times to hold it together because God is good. He's merciful. From the beginning of the story, we saw that. Genesis says God created a good creation, looked at it. His heart was filled with delight. He said it's good. Exodus says he's slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin for a thousand generations. He's good. But for people that resist and refuse to repent and give their lives to him, these are the things that come upon them as they submit to the throne of Satan. And friends, the day is coming when that line of demarcation will become more and more clear. Do you see it now? Is it becoming more clear? You are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus under his throne his body, soul, and spirit. Or it will become increasingly clear, I'm submitted to the throne of Satan, body, soul, and spirit. Friends, it's there. Look at what's happening in the youth culture. I can't believe it's breathtaking. It's there. So I know where I want to be. How about you? I am running from that, and I'm running to the lordship of Jesus the goodness of God, the mercy of God. And I think our goal in the coming days is to plunder this camp over here. We don't just run and flee and hide, but we say, Lord, fill us 
with such steel and resolve and passion and power. Though you slay us, we trust in you. And we're going to go plunder this camp over here. We're going to plunder that camp because that's the way the Lord works. Paul went and planted churches right in the worst possible place. He chose Ephesus. And he said that's where the Lord is going to set up shop at the gate of hell. And the Lord's going to win people to himself. I know Sam's in. Former military guy. The Lord's raising up an army here where we have that kind of mindset. We're not retreating and hiding. That's the essence of fundamentalism as you retreat. We're deeply engaged. And we want to see the Lord win Satanists and atheists and occultists and passionate folks that are marching this month. Because the Lord loves them. So we are, Lord, give us love and passion and resolve as you bring your kingdom in this region, in this hour. And we believe it, Lord. We see this and we're filled with awe. And we don't take you lightly. But at the same time, we know that you're going to send us into the enemy's camp as you plunder the enemy's camp and bring people to yourself. New sons and daughters that you're going to fill with your spirit and they will go and be part of the Lord's army and we'll see a great awakening in this hour. And we're going to sing about it. So why don't we stand up? And next week, another lighthearted chapter. <laughs> chapter 17, we'll lay out a little more specifically the judgment on the prostitute Babylon. And we'll come back and maybe weave in some of this stuff because I didn't get to talk about Armageddon. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> happy Father's Day, right? But we are happy, aren't we? Because we believe the Word of God. Every word that's in there, we embrace it. We lean into it. And Jesus is Lord. And the Father's already won through the cross of Christ.